Hello and welcome to this podcast, which takes a brief look at the updated guidance for employers and trustees, which followed hard on the heels of the FCA's finalised guidance for advising on defined benefit transfers. I'm John Shepherd, a partner in our pensions practice, and I'm joined today by two colleagues from our financial regulation group, Jean Price and Jimmy Pickett. For most pension schemes and sponsors, the need to engage with the Financial Conduct Authority is somewhat mercifully very rare. More often than not, trustees only need to think about the regulatory perimeter in the context of scheme investments and the role that trustees can play in the the investment decision-making process. However, post-pension freedoms, the importance of effective guidance to help members navigate the myriad options available to them has never been greater. And that means for those looking to provide helpful support to scheme members, the risk of universally undertaking activities that require FCA authorisation. That's right, John. So in March this year, the FCA and the pensions regulator issued refreshed guidance for trustees and employers on providing support to members without needing to be subject to FCA regulation. Now, the original guidance in 2017 flew somewhat under the radar at the time, but this time around, we've seen a number of trustees and sponsors concerned about the support they provide at retirement and how compatible that is with the guidance and the FCA rules more broadly. Now, as with all pension topics, the devil is in the detail, but thankfully here, the devil isn't all that disturbing. Uh, Think more the affable Harvey Keitel in the otherwise really awful Little Nicky, rather than, for example, the terrifying Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. To put another way, I guess our message here today is that while trustees and employees need to understand their perimeter pitfalls, behind the noise and the unrest that the guidance has caused, it is not designed, and nor should it, deter trustees and sponsors from providing what is vital support to members at one of the most critical junctures of their lives. Yes, Jimmy, and perhaps a good place to start with this is actually determining what the regulatory perimeter is. So what is it? Well, essentially, it's the legal boundary that determines what the FCA and the PRA can, and therefore, just as importantly, cannot regulate. So it considers which activities require authorisation and the level of protection customers can expect for the financial services and products that they purchase. So it isn't defined by a single piece of legislation or regulatory approach. So while any proposed changes to the perimeter are a matter of government and parliament and require new legislation, it does mean that the the perimeter isn't static. It's complex and um, a flexible beast. So over the years, we've actually seen the perimeter grow to absorb new activities. For example, back in the day, mortgages, the biggest debt you or I are ever likely to have in our personal life, were largely unregulated, aside from um, a voluntary code, whose conditions were set by the industry. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, But they came into the fold in 2004, and with consumer credit not joining the party much later until 2014. In terms of what we're looking at on the on the horizon, it looks as though prepaid funeral plans and currently unregulated crypto assets may be next. So that's all very interesting, but why is the regulatory perimeter so important? Well, the short answer to that is that under the Financial Services and Markets Act, undertaking a regulated activity, i.e. one that's within the regulatory perimeter without appropriate authorization from the FCA or the PRA is a criminal offence unless you're exempt or you can demonstrate that you're not undertaking the, business, the activities by way of business. So Jimmy, what sort of regulated activities might an employer or trustee unwittingly carry out? So in our experience, the two most relevant activities where we might see the trustees and employees inch t- closer towards the regulatory perimeter are the activities of arranging and advising. Starting with arranging broadly, that involves bringing about investment transactions between other parties or making arrangements to assist other persons in entering into such transactions. 
And putting that into a pensions context, a trustee or employer may be arranging if they steer members towards specific FCA regulated products. Looking at advising, so that's where advice is given on the merits of buying or selling particular investments, or in the case of a conversion or transfer of pension benefits, advising a member on converting, transferring or paying out safeguarder pension benefits, so DB pensions uh, to you and me. Again, in a pensions context, answering questions on the merits of certain actions will ultimately risk straying into regulated advice. Once it's established that a regulatory activity is taking place, the next step is to determine whether it is undertaken by way of business. Put bluntly, there is no simple way of establishing whether an activity is carried on by way of business, and it's something that needs to be determined on a case-by-case basis. Ultimately, there are a number of factors in determining whether the test is met, and this is a long list, and it includes the degree of continuity, uh, the existence of a commercial element, the scale of the activity, the proportion which the activity bears to other activities carried on by the same person which are not regulated, and the nature of a particular regulated activity being carried out. Obviously that test can get quite knotty, uh, not least in the context of investment decisions made on behalf of the scheme, which has its own separate considerations and where up until recently the, dis- the issue has more uh, often reared its head. So looking specifically at the activities covered by the updated FCA and TPR guidance, so arranging and advising, a trustee is only caught if it, virtual air quotes, carries on the business of engaging in such activity. So in other words, professional corporate trustees and other persons who provide professional services to a pension scheme are more at risk of being seen to carry out these activities by way of business. That is, they are likely to be caught by FSMA. Conversely, unpaid individual trustees, so lay trustees, and individual trustee companies set up by the employer to operate an occupational scheme are not likely to be caught. However, the position is not always clear-cut, and so it's important to take care. Clearly, then, this is something that employers and trustees should be considering when interacting with members and putting in place at-retirement support. It's no surprise that since new guidance was issued in March, industry bodies, from the FCA to the Pensions Ombudsman, who is responsible for investigating member complaints, have remained concerned at the quality of advice given in relation to pensions particularly DB schemes where the implications of giving up safeguarded benefits are particularly acute. For most people, poor pension advice can be life-changing, and by the time it becomes apparent that the advice was unsuitable, it's often too late. The March guidance specifically applies to firms providing advice and support on the conversion or transfer of pension benefits, particularly from DB to DC schemes. But what's its relevance for employers and trustees? So John, as you say, the guidance is aimed at improving the advice provided to end consumers. The FCA has clearly nailed its colours to the mast and said that it remains in its view that for most consumers, the best option is for them to remain in that scheme. In fact, Jimmy and I were chatting about this morning about the circumstances in which it may not. And those are very limited indeed, for example, um, you know, if if somebody is terminally ill. Um, So this means that the advisors will need to be very clear on the benefits of transfer to a customer if they're advising a move away from the scheme. As we've seen in the post-pensions freedom world, consumers now have a range of options available to them, and this means decisions are harder to make. And employers and trustees understandably want to be able to provide as much assistance as they can, and therefore need to understand what they can do without tripping over the regulatory perimeter. 
So the FCA and the pensions regulator understand this and therefore the guidance on advising on pension transfers was coupled with the refreshed joint guidance from the FCA and TPR. And I have to say, it just amused me. We've gone for absolute brevity in the title of Guide for Employers and Trustees on Providing Support with Financial Matters Not Needing to be Subject to FCA Regulation. Well, if nothing else, it does what it says on the tin. So in accordance with the FCA perimeter guidance, unpaid individual trustees and in-house trustee companies are not deemed to be undertaking activities by way of business, as Jimmy already mentioned. So far, so good. But the guidance does caveat this by suggesting that the best way to ensure you are not in the business of arranging transactions or providing regulated advice is simply to offer support in ways that do not involve arranging or advising to start with. Presumably, trustees and employers need to ensure that there are no regulatory implications to the information they provide to members, particularly as they near retirement. Precisely. So it's worth noting that the guidance deals with communications and introductions, as well as specific considerations in relation to safeguarded benefits. Looking at communications first, if, for example, employers and trustees issue material that promotes a particular financial product, then that is likely to be a financial promotion. Financial promotions have their very own regulatory regime under which a promotion can only be communicated by an FCA authorised firm or where, the, or where the promotion has been approved by an authorised firm. Now, there are some limited exceptions to the regime. and I'm going to give a shout out here for my favourite pensions topic, auto enrolment, which is excluded. Factual, neutral information is permitted, but must in all cases avoid being an invitation, inducement or attempt to persuade. The FCA suggests, for example, that telling, mem uh, telling DC members about the ability to switch between default investment funds should be fine. Uh, but if it can be read as encouraging a switch, it could be an unauthorised financial promotion. And separately, answering questions from members, a couple of good examples. So is it a good idea to transfer? Would I be better off paying into a lifetime ISA rather than a pension? Uh, those will risk straying into regulated advice where, where answers to those questions are given. And so the guidance instead recommends that providing more general information, such as signposting to the Money and Pension Service, uh, the Pensions Advisory Service or TPAS and Pensions Wise would be better in those situations. In terms of introductions, there are two things for trustees uh, and employers to consider. So uh, introducing members to regulated products and introducing members to advisors. So taking the first of those, the guidance is relatively clear-cut that steering members directly towards specific FCA-regulated products may be considered arranging. And this is likely to be the case if members wanting to take benefits are pointed via website links to specific regulated products, uh, the obvious examples here being annuities or personal pensions with drawdown functionality. In terms of directing members to advice, the guidance helpfully confirms that arranging access to advice for members on the options and products available via FCA authorised firms is broadly permitted, which is good and will fall outside the arranging activity. And the guidance here reflects what is often the case in practice, that trustees are best placed to identify a suitable advisor and negotiate better terms than members could themselves. And that includes through the use of independent experts to identify and monitor the quality of advice being given. Where trustees do need to be careful is the types of advisor it arranges for members to access. So in particular, the FCA and TPR's view is that it is more difficult for restricted advice firms, so in other words, advisors that can only recommend certain products or providers, or indeed both, uh, to fulfil the requirement for advice to be independent. And the expectation, therefore, is that trustees introduce members to independent, unrestricted, whole-of-market advice instead. 
It's also worth noting here the views of the Pensions Ombudsman, uh, which recommends that trustees make clear to members that one, the trustees only facilitating access to advice and not recommending any particular course of action. Two, the decision whether to obtain advice and who from is the member's choice. Three, the trustee is not responsible for the IFA's advice. Finally, any list of IFAs is provided purely to help members and they can choose their own IFA if they wish. Some of this may seem obvious and trustees should also take appropriate advice themselves as they go through this process, but they're all sensible steps to help trustees protect themselves against member complaints. Turning back to the information that can be provided to members looking to access DB benefits, I get that each scheme's proposition needs to be considered against the guidance, legislation and the FCA rules, but what does the guidance say is permitted? So, in fact, it's helpful and a fair bit can be given. So, for example, trustees and employers can give numerical information about the DB scheme, and that will generally be given on the ways in which benefits can be taken. Um, so, illust illustrative figures, so for example, transfer values, combinations of tax-free cash, projected income, pension increase in exchange, and the effect of a partial transfer are all permitted. Um, transfer values in particular need careful treatment, so it's generally fine to provide some context around what's likely to be large transfer values. However, for example, steering a member towards a uh, transfer by, um, for example, showing illustrative values of what the member might get outside the scheme could constitute a regulated activity. So instead, the guidance suggests, for example, providing information on the average life expectancies and typical payment periods. So in relation to annuities, factual, publicly available information can be included to provide context for a fat transfer value. For example, the level of income that can be provided by a currently available lifetime annuity. But that isn't the case for future annuity costs since those will you know, rely on assumptions regarding future market conditions and those should therefore be avoided. Um, the guidance suggests that annuity quotes may be shown alongside an early retirement group quote from the scheme for a direct comparison. Um, so that's helpful. And a final point to note is that annuity providers can only be named where several annuity quotes are shown. So the risk being that if you provide a single quote from a single name provider or product, that could be seen as a recommendation. So in terms of drawdown, the position is less clear cut. And information about future drawdown is not factual as it depends on assumptions, so in particular future investment returns on the remaining pension pot and the effect of charges which ultimately may vary over time and this could influence a member's decision making. Information that suggests that one option is better than another may also influence decision making and could be considered to be advice. All of this is to say that there is not a blanket ban on providing drawdown information but trustees and sponsors should ensure that tools deployed as part of a scheme's at retirement support have been carefully considered against the rules. Taking all of that into account, it seems there's still a decent amount of assistance that employers and trustees can give members without being authorised. Yes, that's right. So while the guidance discourages providing um, support that's akin to the arranging advising activities, trustees and employers will only need to be authorised by the FCA if they're in the business of doing either and if they receive a commercial benefit for helping employees. So as Jimmy mentioned, the by way of business test has a number of moving parts and can get quite knotty. And generally, so we need to assess it on a case by case basis. So above all, this all shows that there is an interesting tension between the recommendations in the guidance, which we would suggest trustees and employers adhere to as best practice to avoid any residual perimeter risk, 
and the practical reality that in most in any event, in most cases, trustees wouldn't regard themselves as acting by way of business. And a more general question from a non-regulatory lawyer. Does it really matter if you get caught on the wrong side of the perimeter? Well, the short answer is yes, it does. So the FCA has pursued and will continue to pursue those it finds to be undertaking regulated activities without being authorised. And earlier this year, proceedings were brought by the FCA in the High Court where I obtained summary judgment against an unauthorised advisor and ordered them to pay restitution of over half a million pounds. It's important, however, for employers and trustees not to get too spooked by these stories and the fact that acting without authorisation is a criminal offence. The powers are generally there for the FCA to deal with more egregious and significant cases of firms deliberately carrying out activities without being regulated. I think it's fair to say the number of instances where the FCAs have pursued pension scheme trustees and sponsors for inadvertent missteps over the perimeter is vanishingly small. So would it be right to say that the FCA is unlikely to take action where the trustees were trying to act in members' best interests but have inadvertently strayed the wrong side of the line? I think that's fair. But to caveat that, it's still much better for trustees and employers to have satisfied themselves that they're on the right side of the regulatory boundary rather than leaving it to luck because then they can evidence to the FCA they took reasonable steps to ensure they remained on the side of the angels. And of course, trustees will at the same time need to ensure that what they're doing is consistent with their broader trustee duties to members. Uh, but that's probably a story for another podcast. Anyway, that wraps up this podcast on the FCA and pensions regulators guidance for employers and trustees. Do get in touch with us if you have any questions. Our contact details are in the podcast description. And you can also follow our pensions practice on LinkedIn and on Twitter at links underscore pensions. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.